Letter the Third of Leslie Castle by Jane Austen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Leslie Castle, Letter the Third from Miss Margaret Leslie to Miss C. Luturel. Leslie Castle, February the sixteenth. I have made my own reflections on the letter you enclosed to me, my dear Charlotte, and I will now tell you what those reflections were. I reflected that if by this second marriage Sir George should have a second family, our fortunes must be considerably diminished, that if his wife should be of an extravagant turn, she would encourage him to persevere in that gay and dissipated way of life to which little encouragement would be necessary, and which has, I fear, already proved but too detrimental to his health and fortune that she would now become mistress of those jewels which once adorned our mother, and which Sir George had always promised us, that if they did not come into Perthshire, I should not be able to gratify my curiosity of beholding my mother-in-law, and that if they did, Matilda would no longer sit at the head of her father's table. These, my dear Charlotte, were the melancholy reflections which crowded into my imagination after perusing Susan's letter to you, and which instantly occurred to Matilda when she had perused it likewise. The same ideas, the same fears, immediately occupied her mind, and I know not which reflection distressed her most, whether the probable diminution of our fortunes or her own consequence. We both wish very much to know whether Lady Leslie is handsome, and what is your opinion of her as you honour her with the appellation of your friend. We flatter ourselves that she must be amiable. My brother is already in Paris. He intends to quit it in a few days, and to begin his route to Italy. He writes in a most cheerful manner, says that the heir of France has greatly recovered both his health and spirits, that he has now entirely ceased to think of Louisa, with any degree either of pity or affection, that he even feels himself obliged to her for her elopement, as he thinks it very good fun to be single again. By this you may perceive that he has entirely regained that cheerful gaiety and sprightly wit for which he was once so remarkable. When he first became acquainted with Louisa, which was little more than three years ago, he was one of the most lively, the most agreeable young men of the age. I believe you never yet heard the particulars of his first acquaintance with her. It commenced at our cousin Colonel Drummond's, at whose house in Cumberland he spent the Christmas, in which he attained the age of two and twenty. Louisa Burton was the daughter of a distant relation of Mrs Drummond, who, dying a few months before in extreme poverty, left his only child then about eighteen, to the protection of any of his relations who would protect her. Mrs. Drummond was the only one who found herself so disposed. Louisa was therefore removed from a miserable cottage in Yorkshire to an elegant mansion in Cumberland, and from every pecuniary distress that poverty could inflict to every elegant enjoyment that money could purchase. Louisa was naturally ill-tempered and cunning, but she had been taught to disguise her real disposition under the appearance of insinuating sweetness by a father who but too well knew 
that to be married would be the only chance she would have of not being starved, and who flattered himself that with such an extraordinary share of personal beauty, joined to a gentleness of manners and an engaging address, she might stand a good chance of pleasing some young man who might afford to marry a girl without a shilling. Louisa perfectly entered into her father's schemes and was determined to forward them with all her care and attention. By dint of perseverance and application, she had at length so thoroughly disguised her natural disposition under the mask of innocence and softness as to impose upon every one who had not by a long and constant intimacy with her discovered her real character. Such was Louisa when the hapless Leslie first beheld her at Drummond House. His heart, which to use your favourite comparison, was as delicate as sweet and as tender as a whipped syllabub, could not resist her attractions. In a very few days he was falling in love, shortly after actually fell, and before he had known her a month he had married her. My father was at first highly displeased as so hasty and imprudent a connection, but when he found that they did not mind it, he soon became perfectly reconciled to the match. The estate near Aberdeen, which my brother possesses by the bounty of his great uncle independent of Sir George, was entirely sufficient to support him and my sister in elegance and ease. For the first twelve months, no one could be happier than Leslie, and no one more amiable to appearance than Louisa, and so plausibly did she act, and so cautiously behave, that though Matilda and I often spent several weeks together with them, yet we neither of us had any suspicion of her real disposition. After the birth of Louisa, however, which one would have thought would have strengthened her regard for Leslie, the mask she had so long supported was by degrees thrown aside, and as probably she then thought herself secure in the affection of her husband, which did indeed appear if possible augmented by the birth of his child, she seemed to take no pains to prevent that affection from ever diminishing. Our visits, therefore, to Dumbeath were now less frequent and by far less agreeable than they used to be. Our absence was, however, never either mentioned or lamented by Louisa, who in the society of young Danvers, with whom she became acquainted at Aberdeen, he was at one of the universities there, felt infinitely happier than in that of Matilda and your friend, though there certainly never were pleasanter girls than we are. You know the sad end of all Leslie's connubial happiness. I will not repeat it. Adieu, my dear Charlotte. Although I have not yet mentioned anything of the matter, I hope you will do me the justice to believe that I think and feel a great deal for your sister's affliction. I do not doubt but that the healthy air of the Bristol Downs will entirely remove it by erasing from her mind the remembrance of Henry. I am, my dear Charlotte, yours ever, M. L. End of letter the third.